Welcome to the Hashtag Call to Scene podcast, the show focused on the strategic disruption of the status quo in technical organizations, communities, and events. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Hashtag Call to Scene podcast with my guest today is Jane Gruel. Jane, could you introduce yourself to the audience, please? Sure. Hi, everyone. Hi, Kim. So my name is Jane Grohl. I'm CEO and one of the co-founders of the DevOps Institute. I've been around IT a pretty long time and very, very happy to be here today. All right. We always start with two questions before I get into the conversation. And the first question is, why is it important to cause a scene? And then the next one is, how are you causing a scene? So great question. So it's important to cause a scene because if you look at the landscape of the IT community today in particular, uh, we're not well balanced, right? We're, we're, we're definitely not well balanced. And the, you know, if you look at the history of how IT has grown and particularly in the software engineering space, somehow there was, a, a, I don't know, mismatch between uh, gender and other diversities and the growth of the software engineering space. So I think it's really important that we emphasize for current generations and future generations that causing a scene is something that's very positive and it's also something that helps move our industry forward. How am I causing a scene? I cause a scene every single day, I think, just by being me. Um, you know, I'm very fortunate that I do get a platform on a regular basis to not only talk about my experiences as a woman in IT and a woman in DevOps, but hopefully also to show people what it's like to just be a technologist. Um, You know, I said I've been around IT for a fairly long time, fairly longer than I want to admit. Um, And so, you know, I, I hope through words and actions that I can demonstrate that it is okay to just be you, whoever you are. All right, that's oof. That will be so such a breathtaking um, space to be in, just to show up as yourself and just get your work done. Um, so right? I discovered you because I had a um, you popped into my head because I had a conversation on Change Change Log podcast a few months ago, and we were talking about um, just how to make a profession. <laughs> And one of the things I was saying was um, other professions have associations. And I popped out and I was like, oh, wow, I did not know DevOps had an association. So could you talk about, I really want to know where the idea came from. How was it established? How was it working? Because um, I want to understand if this is something that can be... um, a model that can be used throughout other parts of tech, um, tech because we don't have any, um, we don't have any real professionals. <laughs> you, you know those things, those standards that we need. <laughs> we don't have any really real. We have you know like communities around um, languages and frameworks and um, and that kind of stuff. We don't have any professional associations. Any anything that holds that says this is the professional, at least a minimum standard, um, and that I know of. And so yours was the first one. So if you could just talk to me about that. Sure, happy to. And I'll I'll try to make it as short as I possibly can. It's an interesting journey. So. 
I was really fortunate that in 2012, I come from the ITSM space. And so some of the folks from the ITSM space discovered DevOps fairly early. And um, I was invited with my then business partner to go to a DevOps days in Mountain View, California. And so I'm going to stop you. I'm going to stop you right there because I want you to um, define the acronym that you used. Uh, DevOps? No, the... um, Oh, ITSM? Yes. Oh, okay. Good, good, good. Okay. Um, So I come from the IT service management space. Some call it the ITSM space or the ITIL space, which is really the operational side of IT. And so some of the folks that come from that community discovered DevOps fairly early. And so I was very privileged to be invited to a DevOps days in Mountain View, California in 2012, where, by the way, there were 300 attendees, of which five were women. So that was interesting, right? So that was kind of the first telltale sign that uh, we have uh, uh, an imbalance in IT. And at the time, we saw the spark of something really interesting. It was still in the unicorn stages where... Um, you know, most of the organizations interested in DevOps were pretty young, were pretty agile. Um, many would call them startups. And then as it started to cross up into the enterprise space, we realized that this is different and there's a curation that's necessary and there's a professionalism that's associated with it. And so we stood up the DevOps Institute in 2015, first of all, to address the cultural aspects of DevOps. You know, we, we know in in DevOps, that culture is an important part of transformation, and that truthfully, culture doesn't transform, people transform. And so really kind of looking at how do we groom people to be able to make this leap uh, through education, through certification, and and in large part through curation of this massive amount of, of information, some would call it noise, that is DevOps. So we stood up the DevOps Institute. Funny you mentioned the word community, Kim, because you know we started it as the continuous learning community and the market responded and said, oh, you're a training company. And we went, no, we're an association, right? So there is still some of a little bit of a disconnect between an association and a community, even though to my mind, they're one and the same. But the most fascinating part about the whole journey is that it didn't really kind of just rise up in North America. Our first partners were from Australia. Our second partner was from Switzerland. I've traveled all around the world visiting the community, really meeting um, the people that are involved in DevOps, both at the commercial level, uh, from the consultants, the training companies and others, down to the practitioners. And it is a very, very broad community. And so we go by the mantra, humans of DevOps. And we use the word human intentionally because regardless of anything else, we are human, right? We are human. So, you know, we all have the same biology. We all have the same um, DNA, even though, again, your DNA, my, my DNA may be a little bit different. We're all built the same way, right? We may look different. We may be living in different regions, but there is a common link between all of that. So that's kind of the genesis of DevOps Institute is we realize that there's this worldwide community that needs to associate with each other and need to be able to learn and be given opportunities to learn, to grow their careers, and to be able to make the transformation. And so that's part of it. And I just want to add one more thing that I think is really interesting because you mentioned the word standards. So I'm married to a CPA, and CPAs have generally accepted accounting principles that every organization, regardless of their vertical, 
adhere to. Now, some adhere to it different than others, some adhere to it, but they have come together as a very old profession to identify some standards for um, how accounting should occur. I don't know how rigid IT is ready to be right now, but someday there might be generally accepted IT principles, right, that really help us be who we are to innovate, to disrupt, to, to really and help society uh, adopt and adapt technology to its benefit. Um, and maybe part of that just will wrap around some type of, of generally accepted IT principles. So let's see where that goes. Well, yeah, see, that's the that's the conversations that um, so in this space, you have people who balk. I mean, who just some people just get really even pissed off just even about codes of conduct. And and um, and I'm like, that is just like basic. <laughs> um, right? um, and so how do we grow this this profession that is no longer a toddler? It's in its you know, I would say adolescence and, you know, having some growing pains, dealing with some consequences of some things that it did in the past. And how do we become a mature, um, um, thriving, responsible community? And I really appreciate the fact that you put human first, um, because that is that is the one of the biggest challenges I find in this space. We want to extrapolate out human and want to act as if the machine, the program, the the thing, I, the AI, the machine learning, deep learning, all of that is the, um, even if it's a tool like a framework or um, an editor or whatever we're using, we put so much emphasis on the tools and technologies above their impact on, on the human who's the humans who are creating it, the humans who have to use it, humans who have to interact with them, and then the humans who have to come together to create. I mean, there's so much, to me, more levels of human connection that we just do not deal with in this space. Um, and that these lack of awareness or even wanting to, hmm, what do I want to say? Wanting to just, yeah, deal with each other um, are causing are, are huge barriers to when you're like even just to the you say you went to and it's four three hundred people and five women, um, just to even have that conversation is a challenge. Um, I went to my first closure conference. It was over four hundred people, and I say it was about maybe it was less than twenty women and less than six people of color that weren't um. When I when I'm now I'm going to be very specific. I'm going to say black people because there were there were some Indians from India, but not um, any you know uh, Latina blacks um, individuals there. So I, I being in those spaces can be quite interesting <laughs> to say the least. Well, particularly here in the United States, right? Because we're such a melting pot yes. of, of so many different ethnicities. Uh, I was in India recently, right? So you mentioned, you know, and and yeah, there's there's diversity issues there as well between northern India and southern India, and 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 unfortunately, 
um, you know, regardless of where you are, um, those are challenges. But I think more so in North America than anywhere else. And that's why we, we don't use the word people. We use the word human very, very intentionally, because regardless, regardless, I said, of where you are, your gender, your orientation, your ethnicity, you're human. And the humanity that's associated with technology, you know, I think you said it really well. It's humans that write, that write these products, that develop these products, that conceive these products. It's humans that use these products, right? It's humans that are going to manage these products because even though we talk about self-management, um, A, we're far away from that. And, you know, humans can only do this, the critical thinking skills that machines can, at least today, mm-hmm. um, can do. Uh, you know, DevOps Institute, we did a, a report recently called Upskilling on the State of DevOps Skills. Um, we had about 1,600 people complete the survey, and we just published the report uh, this past March. It was really interesting kind of looking at what skills really rose to the top. So soft skills, really statistically equal to technical skills. Those are human skills, right? Collaboration, communication, problem solving, systems thinking, uh, customer experience skills. Those are very human skills. And they were statistically equal to automation, technical, and process skills. That tells us something, right? Well, one of the things that, okay, so I always push back on this because I don't like the term soft skills and I don't, I think we use the word technical skills um, inappropriately or incorrectly when we look at the definition. So how, how I define it is, and this is where the, the lack of interest or the lack of value for what, and that's why I like the, t- the fact that you call them human. Um, the human skills are, because I call them human centric skills, um, yeah. are, are not value is because Anything that's dealing with technology, we call technical. Um, and that is not how that term is defined. Anybody who has a skill um, skill set can be technical. So somebody in HR is technical. Somebody who writes, um, who write, who does training is technical. They just have a different set of technical skills. And I really think we need to um, talk about that in a way so people can understand that Coding is about a technology. You're technical in a, uh, how to use a tool, um, a programming language. That's a technology. Um, but I, who builds businesses, has also a set of technical skills that you don't have. And so it's it's we can it, it that. And so also my skills are not soft. Um, my skills. So skills are hard, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so that's another reason I don't like. And 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 let's be honest. A lot of the individuals who are in these DevOps positions or program positions do not have these so-called soft skills or human-centric skills. They're not well developed in these individuals. And as we move closer and closer to automation and um uh, and you know machine learning and AI coding and programming and even DevOps, these these positions are becoming are going to become more and more of a commodity. And it's going to be how do you use your human centric skills in in the in the um in doing your job because I will be the last person to get automated because of the skills that I have. Whereas somebody else, if all you do is sit in front of a computer with your headphones on, never engage with anybody in code, we can find somebody else who can in, interact with somebody on the team who helps build, who helps make decisions about building first. And, and I like that you did, and I love when people do research in various areas of industries, 
um, has come up with the same thing because I use always use this um, this one um, slide in my presentations from the um, um, World Economic Forum, and it talks about the skills that are needed for the 21st century. And they are those collaboration skills, critical thinking skills, those kind of those human centric skills are what are necessary because we're in a knowledge economy. We're no longer in an industrial economy. We're no longer making widgets. We need to be creating knowledge. And that happens when people collaborate. Um, And that also brings me to one of the things I hear um, often in DevOps is like this thing. of, Oh, you guys are going to automate yourselves out of a job. Oh, no. If you're thinking about it from just the tooling, yes. But if you're thinking about it from a holistic perspective, no. You know, because it's more than just the tools. It is how do you decide how to use the tools, which tools to use, how do they go together, how do they communicate, how how would they impact people's lives. Those things that people, again, we keep extrapolating out the human part, but all of this stuff, technology is affecting humans. You know, I love that you call it human centric because I think that's really a great, great term. And you know what? When we do next year's report, absolutely, I think we will move away from soft skills and call them human skills, right? They're human to human skills. And so collaboration, absolutely, right? You know, uh, in today's world, you're right, where people sit with headphones on their heads and they quietly code along tables, sitting next to each other, but not necessarily interacting. That's not collaboration. Right. That's not collaboration. I mean, Lord knows it's not communication, but it's definitely not collaboration. (laughs) Right. And so and in, you know, I have four millennial children. And when we look at, you know, things like Instacart or Uber Eats or, you know, things that kind of keep you isolated because it will come to you instead of you're going to it. um, You know, that's a little scary to me that interpersonal skills start to human skills start to fall apart because we become a society of isolated individuals where we don't have to leave the house, right? We really just don't ever have to leave the house. Um, our friendships will be online and our everything else will be brought to us in two days. So that's a little <laughs> bit scary, right? I mean, it, it is. It's yeah. a little bit, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit scary when you start to look at kind of the future. But, you know, that also kind of speaks to I think some of the challenges we have today and will continue to have going forward, we have four generations in the workplace today. Mm -hmm. You're right about technology, right? Technical, you know, your technical skill is your core competence, regardless of where it sits in that organization. But we start to look at kind of the generational gaps. You know, we have and, and I hate, you know, the labels, but, you know, for argument's sake and for, I guess, just for um, logic, right, you kind of look at, you know, my generation starting to retire out. That just tells you, I, I said, I've been in IT a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, now you have, but, but in many cases, we still hold the budget, right? And we yes. still control how mm-hmm. things are, are happening. The generation behind us, so I'm kind of you know, the the last vestiges of maybe the baby boomers, right? And then you start to move into the generation that came after us. And, you know, they're probably still more traditional, right? You know, still still kind of battling traditional competition. And then you move further and further down to the, I don't want your device. um, And I'm going to change jobs every couple of years. 
And I'm the, what you want because I'm the disruptive thinker. So we have all of these very, this wide range of not only skills, we have this right, wide range of experience, um, you know, social experience, uh, how you grew up, where you grew up, um, you know, what your influences are and, in, you know, internet today, not so much internet, um, you know, from, from other generations. And now you try to put them all together and mm-hmm. create some type of a flow um, that isn't interrupted by, you know, whatever else that goes along with it. So, so we do have challenges. I mean, we, uh, again, we have, we have challenges, I think in technology, the challenges that we have is that we really do have a, a large cross population that's very globalized, that's very generationally um, uh, diverse, that's very diverse in many, many, many other ways. We think we're really inclusive, but I'm not so sure that we are. But at least, and, I, and so all of that leads to what I would say is the positive side of it. And if you don't mind, I'll just share this really quickly. I was on a panel a few months ago, and you know, you, I'm sure you do too. We get to sit on these kind of women in, you know, fill in the blank panels, right? Mm-hmm. And and you're right, you know, uh, a bunch of white women sitting on a panel is not necessarily diversity, right? Um, but a bunch of guys sitting on a panel with one woman isn't necessarily diversity either. But anyhow, I was on a panel a few months ago, and it was really a great panel, really, really great. Uh, women. I'm even going to talk about about ethnicity because in this case, I don't think it's significant. Um, but it was it was diverse. It was fairly diverse, right? So I'm on this panel, and usually when you get on one of these women in panels, um, the story they want you to tell is about your journey, right? What was your journey like? What if you know? What would your advice be to somebody else that's um, you know entering into STEM, particularly uh, young women? But this panel was really different because we talked about blockchain. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And we talked about AI. And so it really stuck out in my head. I won't even tell you what panel it was, but it really stuck out in my head because we were just a bunch of technologists talking about stuff that is prominent in our space, right? Could have been marketing people, could have been. So the difference there is I felt like we were role modeling. Right, more than you know, telling about our journeys, which is important. I'm not, I'm not undervaluing that, but it was really kind of cool to just talk about things that are you know prominent in our industry right now. And for me, it was a little bit of a pivot, right? It was a little bit of a pivot that said, if we're going to overcome some of the challenges that we have, then let's all be human, right? And if we're in the technical space, let's all be technologists, right? And hopefully that starts to create more interest from groups that aren't necessarily encouraged to do so. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was really, really interesting. And I said, I agree with you. Let's not call them technical skills. Let's not call them soft skills. Soft skills are hard, right? Um, let's call them human skills. I, I like that. I'm going to glom that from you. <laughs> yeah. It's just, just <laughs> because it, it also, because um, it, it, it it hit me because when I was filling out applications, you know, when you're speaking, there, there there's a thing of, is this a technical or non-technical talk? I don't do non-technical talks. So I don't know what you're talking about. Right. Um, and then there's a, there's a, there's a, in, in, in this space, there is a value that's put on and a discount of value that's put on. There's a value that's put on so-called technical t- talks and a, a, a discount on what's considered a non-technical talk. Although what I 
may be talking about is of utmost importance to you and how you run your business and how you run your teams and what you need to learn. But because we say we use those terms incorrectly, there's this already, there's a bias already in the, in the value of my talk as opposed to somebody else who's going to do live coding. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with you. And when we look at leadership skills in particular, right? So the human, when we start to look at human skills or, or you know, up until five minutes ago, uh, I would have called soft skills. You know, the, the challenge with those is because we call them soft, the implication is they're not important, exactly. right? They're, right, that they're, they're not as important. Then we look at leadership skills, right? Which, you know, falls into a category of its own. And, and again, let's go back to the association mentality. If you're going to associate with others, everybody's a leader. Right, you might lead one person, you might lead yourself, you might lead an entire organization, but everybody um, is a leader, and we don't call that a soft skill, right? We don't call leadership a soft skill, mm-hmm. but leadership is very much a human skill. Um, and when we start to look at bringing communities together, and, and I'll go back again, kind of circle us back to the concept of association, is that one of the reasons associations exist, professional associations exist, is to help people learn from each other. And help people have that kind of networking, human contact of people of similar interests. So when we start to look at leadership not being a soft skill, right, but collaboration is, hopefully somewhere along the way, whether it's DevOps Institute or another professional association, say from the marketing space or or somewhere else, that that's part of what's being groomed, right, is the ability for people to learn from each other for people to have the opportunity to network and for people to have a human to human relationship, maybe with people they never met. And that is where you and I see that makes sense. But the reality of everyday working in tech is not that. It is not the value of the human to human. It is um, the let's move fast and break things is I want to, how, how quickly can you get this code out? How, um, you know, how quickly can we automate something? Um, and, and, and that's from what I'll call the, 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 um, the, the toddler days of tech. Um, and it, it does not work effectively when you're trying to, I use this as an example. When you built a business before the internet, um, unless you were at Coca-Cola, IBM or whatever, m- most people did not have in any opportunity to have an in- in global um, organization. You had a Ace Hardware <laughs> and people like you um, who were, because it was a neighborhood thing, people in the neighborhood went to the Ace Hardware. So it didn't m- really matter if there was much diversity because you sold things in your ACE hardware that your the people in your community would use. So if you lived up north, you had snow shovels, ice, um, and salt and all that stuff at a certain time. And if you were in the south, there was no need for you to ever, ever even stock any of that. Um, and But now we have global customers and clients. Um, global customers and clients we don't even know exist because we we don't even know where they're coming from. We may have an email. We don't know what they're using, how they're using it. Um, right. we, have, we have an intention of how we designed it, but they may come up with different ways of using it. Um, and yet we're in a space where we're increasingly going to become liable 
Um, there's a huge risk management issue in this that we have not thought about, that we have not been looking at. And these are the questions and, and things I want to push back on people. Because again, as I say, people that we have some real pushback on people with basic, basic codes of conduct. This is how we're going to treat each other in spaces. That's amazing to me. I mean, I, I went to 16 conferences last year, right? And so at every conference, they literally start with, now, you know, people obviously don't sign, but they always start with, here is our code of conduct. Here's how you will treat each other. Here's what will happen if you don't feel you're being treated fairly or if somebody is being inappropriate. Um, and despite that, um, I have seen um, inappropriate behavior. So the code of conduct, I, I can't even imagine the resistance to a code of conduct. Um, because despite the fact that they're there, uh, you know, I don't know that people, it's kind of like when you're on the airplane and the, and the flight attendant is telling you all about the safety things and you travel a lot you kind of, you know, look at Tone your phone. Out. Yep. Yep. Right. And that's what I tell to people. I say like a code of conduct is the most reactionary basic thing. There is nothing proactive about a code of conduct. A code of conduct is just a basic line of what, because this is just, just you just mentioned, you said, um, inappropriate. Everybody has, people have different uh, uh, definitions of inappropriate. So unless we've defined what that is, right. it's not effective. How can I hold you accountable for it? That's why sexual harassment meets when people say sexual harassment. There is a whole spectrum of what people consider sexual harassment. And if it has not been defined by this group, this is what we say sexual harassment is, you can't hold anybody accountable for it. And that is where the pushback is coming from. People used to being out here in the wild west and now we're saying, no, we need to pull this back some. We need to start evaluating how we treat each other because that affects the, the products and services that we provide. There's pushback. There's pushback. And so I, I totally get you. I'm like, how do you not? But, but then the people who are pushing back are, all, are also the people who've never been targets of harassment. They're the people who um, have, aren't in marginalized communities who have to prioritize their safety. And that that is where we really need to have a conversation. When we talk about who's pushing back on codes of conduct, are is it the are it are they the groups of people who are targets of, of such harassment or um, um, being um, targets of mistreatment, or are they the group who's never who don't have these experiences? And then, if that's the case, then you need to prioritize the people who are targets and tell you this is our lived experience. Oh, uh, absolutely, and and you know, it's it. Maybe we should do we should do a separate one together. Uh, about, you know, kind of appropriate conduct because, you know, I, if I've discovered anything from spending a lot of time at conferences and really the last three years has been kind of my, you know, uh, really it, almost pervasive experience in conferences, you know, most people try to do the right thing. I really do believe that. I really do believe consciously most people try to do the right thing. But I also believe that there is a subsection of people that either, as you've said, have never really had that experience. So they don't see it when it's happening, either through themselves or through somebody else, right? They just don't see it. They don't get it, right? They don't get it because they have no experience with it. And uh, again, hopefully they can, they can control their own behavior. But if they see somebody else's behavior, uh, then they can at least identify. And then you have the people that have truly, truly, truly been affected, but um, are afraid to say something. Yeah. This again of of you know uh, of of whatever's involved and it's and it's silly 
silly, silly, silly things. And I don't mean silly and marginalizing. I'm talking about silly things like uh, you give your business card to somebody and it has your phone number on it and they start using that for inappropriate purposes. Mm -hmm. That's not silly, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, well, you know, uh, no, no, Mm -hmm. right? That's Mm -hmm. that's That's a business relationship. Everyone in the hashtag called the scene community shares the same common beliefs based on a set of four specific guiding principles. One, tech is not neutral, nor is it apolitical. Two, intention without strategy is chaos. Three, lack of inclusion is a risk and increasingly a crisis management issue. And lastly, but most importantly, four, we must prioritize the most vulnerable. To find out more about the guiding principles and adding them to your Twitter profile banner, please visit hashtag cause That's not silly, right? Oh, well, you know, uh, no, no, right? That's business. That's a that's a business relationship. But you know, when you come you, when it comes down to it, and I'll I'll try to kind of circle us 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 back because I, I love talking to you. I could talk to you for a long time. <laughs> um, but you know, when you kind of circle it back. At the end of the day, and it's, it's again, let's go back to the whole focus on human, human behavior, human skills, human to human. You know, one of the greatest things about my job is that I get to see people in their location, right? In their, in their I don't want to say their home because that's not true, but, you know, in their region, right? So I get to interact a lot with, I, I said I was in India recently, I was in Singapore, I was in Australia, I've been in Europe. Um, certainly throughout the United States. And and you do get to see that at the end of the day, most people want to do a good job. Really, most people really do want to do a good job. They want to take pride in what they do. They want to grow their their knowledge. They want to, and, and they're scared, right? They're scared because as you've said, you know, when you start to look at, you know, this emphasis on automation and machines and terms like no-ops, Right, you know, you say no ops, people hear no job, right? It it is it it is an exciting and a little bit of an intimidating time to be in IT. But I really believe that all around the world, um, in a very very global economy and also in a very global IT space, at the end of the day, most people want to do a good job, right? Now they may have conscious or unconscious bias. They may have uh, issues that are um, you know that are preventing them from being the best human they could be. And that's more than disappointing. There are just no words for that. But I really like to think that most people, right? Most people want to do a good job. They want to take care of themselves and their families. They want to have a good life, right? It's, there is a, a large number of people that don't know how to do that. There are a large number of people that are influenced by a lot of external factors that shape how they respond to Um, you know, to colleagues, how they respond to other humans, how they, you know, feel they have to compete and they compete unfairly. But I do, I like to think that at the end of the day, most people don't intentionally set out to, to be inappropriate or to be disrespectful or whatever. However, having said all of that, it is those other people that, that we face in our communities that unfortunately stop, you know, more women from wanting to go into STEM. It stops, uh, you know, people of different ethnicities from feeling comfortable um, in other environments. It stops regional. I mean, again, you know, 
um, you talk about different regions of the world, and sometimes those regions are mentioned, um, you know, with uh, negative stereotypes, right? Um, and I said, I, I, I've spent a lot of time in places, most people just want to do a good job. So hopefully and, that's, yeah, hopefully that's, you know, that's the human, that's the human. And that's the thing that uh, you mentioned something and I wrote a note, good job. I, I think the challenge now is we're, we're the, the more inclusive we become, the more diverse we become, we have to be willing to def- redefine what good job means. And that's where the pushback comes from. Yeah. Because yeah. A, a good job in a monolithic community is one thing. A good job when you're bringing in people who um, have been, who are targets is something totally different. And it brings to mind, I, I, there are uh, several trans um, individuals who follow me uh, because again, we're in a community that um, has us being um, in spaces with people who are not like us. Right. Uh, and we have to, to have to um, um, figure out how to coexist and coexist in ways that that minimizes harm and allows others to thrive. But I can tell you there, when you talked about regions that really popped in my mind, because there are trans individuals who will DM me and ask me, have I heard about a conference in this city or that city? Because they know that that city has a bad reputation um, with people from the LGBTQ community, and particularly trans individuals. So there are trans people who will not go to conferences because of the communities those conferences are in. And those are the things that conference organizers are not have yet to start thinking about. Some of the other things when we talk about conferences, um, when, um, and, and it's interesting that you have your own association. Do you guys do your own conferences? We're starting to, we're okay. just starting to. Right now we contribute to a lot of other conferences, but by the end of this year, you'll get a good announcement about ours. Because one of the things that conference organizers rarely think about, I mean, I I can tell you of many conferences that I've gone through in the past four years, I can count on my one hand how many organizers have actually thought about this. This is a complete barrier for marginalized people. When you talk, particularly if you're talking about bringing people from economically um, um, disadvantaged communities to be exposed to tech, let's say I am a speaker. You've paid for my accommodations and you pay for my travel. But what you have not done when I get to the hotel is tell them um, not to use my credit card to hold um, for incidentals. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you block off money that I could be, because you don't tell me this in advance. So I am at a conference. I am stressed about eating. I'm stressed about just getting around to anything. I'm stressed about just living in my life, particularly if you take me to another country that speaks another language. That is a huge stressor on somebody who, particularly my first international trip was going to a speak at a conference in, in Edinburgh, Scotland, Scotland JS. This space provides so many opportunities for people to explore the world, to, to, to just change their lives. When you talk about generational wealth, this is an opportunity for communities who've been denied that to access that, but we still put barriers in this in the way because we don't think about it because the majority of people who are booking hotels, they're doing it with either through their companies or they um, have some kind of credit or whatever. So now you're using my debit card, which is not right. a credit card. They're holding right. money. And there was a, there was a, um, a conference I went to that the damn 
people put 700 and something dollars on my debit card. Yep. You're, you know, I never thought about this. And but that's something that could be negotiated. Right. Something that can be negotiated that should be negotiated in the contract. If I'm not paying for anything, why does my name? Why do you need my credit card? And if God forbid, if I go into the mini bar and I buy something, you know what? As a conference organizer, if you wanted me there because you needed the diversity numbers, take that as a loss because it can't be much. What twenty bucks? Exactly. You know, thank you for bringing that up because, you know, I really never thought about it because you're you're absolutely right. There is an assumption that it could be somebody young, could be somebody from an economically community, could be somebody. But we all assume that everybody's got enough room on their credit card or debit card to handle. That they even have that. What if you get there and you just... You just, yep. if you go to, I'm told I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to Germany. So I need euros. So I'm going to go to a bank. I might even have a bank account. Think about, I mean, because so many, there's so many unbanked people in the United States. So I go somewhere, I go to, I go to Walmart, get some cash out, go to um, Wells Fargo, get some euros. And then I get to the hotel and they want my debit card. I don't have it. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. You know what? That's a really great point as a conference organizer, because like you, you're right. You know, I do get hosted and sometimes they want me to invoice them. Right. For the expenses. I'm sure you do, too. Um, sometimes they cover some expenses and then they expect, you know, that mm-hmm. the rest of it. I hadn't really even thought about that. That's really. And, and, then, and, you know what? and very few people put up front what they're going to cover. So you're just like, I don't know, especially if you've never gone, gone to these places. You're like, I don't know. That's, you know what, that's really brilliant. I was at a DevOps days in Raleigh this past fall. And I call out Raleigh in particular because they did a really remarkable job where a good proportion of the number of speakers were first-time speakers. So, uh, and and I know that because several of the speakers got up um, and very shyly said, this is my first time speaking. And the whole audience, every time that happened, just stood up and applauded. Mm-hmm. Right? So, you know, so again, very supportive. Hey, you know, you're going to be great. But as a first time speaker, and I would probably guess that most of those speakers were, uh, I would say, probably in their 20s, maybe early 30s. Right. Now, they could be wildly successful and have amazing credit or they could have no credit card whatsoever. Um, but um, who asks? Right. Mm-hmm. Who asks that question? Right. Um, and so, yeah, there's always an assumption that you'll be able to cover the expenses and we'll reimburse you. Or uh, what about those additional? It's a very good point. Yeah, I was speaking in London and um, just to get from the airport to the uh, to my hotel was $150 American. I was going to say $100 easily. <laughs> yeah. And no one told me that. No one t- no one communicated that. So in British pounds. Right. No, uh, well, yeah, and it was 150 in in American and do- U.S. dollars. Once I did the conversion, yeah, yeah. yeah. and so th- that is stuff that we need to think about. And so, but you don't think about that if it's just the status quo. You need people on the t- on the table say, "Hey, have we thought about getting people?" I, I was in Germany in a town um, that does not speak. And I don't speak German, speaks nothing but German. They don't take credit cards. They only had c- cash. So I was like, I was, uh, uh, yes, I c- got off the, so, and then, okay, oh, then I got, so the air, the get from the airport to the city, there was a, tr- like a two hour train ride, but the, oh. I couldn't read the signs. And, and that's another thing I would advise people, particularly when you have new people 
to walk the the take the route from the airport to your event so you can see you can have landmarks you can have you know this is what the sign looks like because german letters words to me look the same i need a picture of which direction i was going into um so i get i'm tired i get to the hotel i go across the street i go to a restaurant and i had just happened to have some some um euros from when i was just in berlin just happened to have them ordered my food sat down thankfully i was um uh, i was good to go and that's and that's when i realized they were like i given my debit card and they're like oh we only take cash and i was like what oh my god and, and i didn't have enough cash so they said that's fine. They took what I had, and then I went back the next day to pay the rest of it. They were like, "No, no, that's fine." But think about how humiliating that is, and how un- how I, I really need people, people, us to put ourselves in positions of what people we say we want to expose them, but what barriers are we putting in their place? I have to commend um, uh, JS Conf, um, Colombia. So I was in Medellin, and Definitely didn't speak Spanish. And what they were trying to do was, because um, another thing that I didn't know about was you travel internationally. If you use your phone, it's $10 a day for every 24 oh, hours. Oh, yes, it is. Yes, and it I is. have been traveling a lot. So I spent already like an extra $300 that I had not planned for. So I came back to the US and they were like, okay, um, when you come down here, we're going to get you a SIM card. Well, what I didn't know, because I now know now that I had an AT&T locked phone, so the SIM card wouldn't work. Um, and so you, if you're going to be traveling, you need to get your unlock car, uh, unlock phone. Um, um, and so they, the SIM card wouldn't work. So they went through the community and found somebody who had an extra phone so I could have it around me. Because I actually, and I'm a very adventurous person. I had a panic attack because now I'm in the country. I can't speak. I don't speak the language. I know how to say, you know, thank you. Hello. That kind of thing. But yeah. around in the city, I don't, I can't use my, you know, we rely on GPS. I can't use my, my um, Google app or whatever because I can't use my phone. Um, so I can't go anywhere. And so what they did was I kind of freaked out on Twitter and, and I didn't na- mention anybody, but they were, they were paying attention. And when the organizers, he, he um, um, said, okay, hold up. He got someone from like, he's like, I, I'm going to send somebody to you. And I was like, no, I'm, I mean, I'm literally crying. He's like, nope, I'm sending somebody to you. And she and I are really good friends now because what she did was all she did was take me and walk me around the neighborhood, just around the block so I could see what was around me. And that I could get acclimated to the space. It's those things that we don't think about that are. I'm feeling a blog coming on or a Twitter. <laughs> oh, I've talked about I talk about this endlessly, but people aren't listening, and this is my frustration. Yeah, maybe, yeah, but maybe it's a I don't know a blog or something. I did a blog post about some of this. Yes, I have. Yeah, a blog like this advice for first time speakers. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things that I was going to do that I started, a, um, that I started a, it is actually a GitHub repo and you just made me think about maybe I need to revisit it. It was at that time where I was asking people to, um, to provide like best practices for traveling for, for right. different conferences around the world. Um, I did start that, but, um, no one, well, you know what? I could bring that up again. I could do that again. Cause that's no big, cause I really, I did something that people could contribute to. Yes, that's what, exactly. that's, yeah. That's what I wanted. So you could do pull requests. So if you're going to a, comp- a conference in, in the North part of India, this is what you need. This is right. Th- this is the kind of outlet you need. This is kind of 
all those things that make uh, a thing, uh, 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 and not just speakers, but um, attendees, because those you, when we're talking about creating safe spaces, if I'm stressed out about leaving my hotel room to go to a space, you don't know what I'm stressed out about. You know what I'm saying? So we're just wanting to alleviate as many of those uncertainties and make them certain as possible. You know what? That's that's actually brilliant. When I was in India, so unfortunately, I have to straighten my hair because it just has no control. I blew up my flat iron. Now, I didn't blow it up in the usual way, which is you know plug it into something that's wrong. I had a transformer that specifically said for curling irons, flat irons, and whatever. And for whatever reason, in India, it didn't work, and the whole thing sparked and mm-hmm. um, and <laughs> whatever. Right. So again, there's a little bit of a of a tidbit there, like. Yeah. Don't count on the fact that a transformer is going to work with your heating device. But no, there's a lot of really good. And you know what? That's a that's a human. Yes, exactly. Those are those human things. Thing that nobody tells you. Yes. That can make uh, life so much better for. I mean, there are some privileged people who travel all over their jobs. I know a friend who works at Red Hat. He he surfs everywhere he freaking goes but he travels with just a backpack he he gets this oh god no <laughs> he, yeah, exactly he gets the conference t-shirt he wears it he doesn't take it back that's what he wears and then he just doesn't pack it and and he just keeps going he has a trove of information of how to travel around the world but he only also has it from his perspective of someone who's comfortable as a white male of traveling around the world. As a black female, I have to be mindful of not going out at certain times at night in certain neighborhoods. So you have to think about where you're putting your conference events, where are you putting the hotels? Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Um, You know, (laughs) black female appreciated, white female, I mean, I don't like to be on the first floor of a hotel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Truthfully, um, you know, I'm of an age where, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't think I'm a really big target, but I don't know that. You know what I mean? Maybe that's stereotyping that nobody would want to come after me, but I don't like to be on the first floor. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to be I don't want to be street level. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. That's why I don't like motels. Don't have my yeah, door. No, I don't, outside yeah, of I, <laughs> same thing. I don't want to yep. be on street level and I don't want something where somebody's walking by my door and there's exactly. a window in front of it. You yes, know, exactly. Now, again, most people and, and I was just at a really, really nice resort for a conference last week, you know, week before last really beautiful conference. They put me at street level and and I said, I no. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Now, uh, uh, again, you know, but there's a sensitivity there that says, you know, don't put, look, consider where you are, but also consider um, the accommodations that mm-hmm. you might need. So, yeah, no, I love that. If you if you decide to do a, maybe an ebook, oh, you know, if you want to, yeah, maybe put an ebook with like, you know, 25 quotes for the, you know, for the new traveler. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or 25 tips or, you know, something like that, that just really could go viral. I would absolutely. Well, one of the things that I, I, I'll reach out to, because I, I love last year I was doing, actually, I was um, doing something that I call certifying conferences um, on there. And so it was, uh, this is what you think about before a conference, during a conference and after a conference. And there are so many things that people don't think about. Just like if you want a diverse conference, have you thought about, and um, 
the the providers, the service providers, are they are people of color? Are they from marginalized groups, or are you just picking out what you normalize? Or is if you're talking about um, the person who does the 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 videographer, have you looked at communities of color, LGBTQ right. community? Have you looked at people with disabilities for this job, or are you just going to the same old same old? There are a lot of things that I've thought about in this space about how to make um, conferences, events, period, just more inclusive and safe. For uh, the because once the, the the most vulnerable us of us is safe, everybody else is safe. No, I you know, absolutely agree. Agree or disagree with me if you like, but I've kind of come to I don't know what I want to call it a reckoning. Mm-hmm. So you know, and I know that sometimes we get invited to be on panels or to speak um, because it's tokenism, mm-hmm. and I and I know that I know that that oftentimes they look at a panel and they go, oh, we don't have a girl. Um, and you know, there I am, right? Oh, would you like to sit on this panel? Now I've said no, um, sometimes, but I've also realized that they're going to ask a woman, right? Cause if I say no now, again, legitimate, you know, uh, something that, um, I feel is ethical. So uh, assume all of that, right. That it's a good conference and, and that it's well-respected and all of that. But I know that if I say no, they're going to ask another woman. So I've kind of come to a reckoning that says, okay, I may not like the fact that I'm being asked in a tokenism way, but I'm going to make it my responsibility to um, represent, if you want to use that word, it's not really a good word, but I'm going to do my best job, right? Because if they're going to ask a woman, Ask me because I'm going to hopefully uh, present, uh, uh, I don't know, a role model to me is too egotistical. I learned a long time ago, don't take yourself more seriously than the work you do. But you know what I mean? Like they're going to ask somebody. And if they're going to ask somebody and I say no, then they're going to ask somebody else. And so I've kind of taken it upon myself that if I'm in that situation, my job is to do the best job I can. I, I don't think I'm articulating it well, but well, you know what? I mean? Well, one of the things is um, I'm going to say- You probably two, have it even worse than I do. I'm, I'm going to say two things. Um, this space has a problem with thinking that white women are diversity. That's number one. Oh, I, um, I don't disagree with you about that at all. And so um, that's number one. But yes, when I'm asked to speak on the panel, first of all, you better be ready for what I'm going to say. You have better have done your homework about what I talk about and how I talk about it because I'm not yeah. going to um, that's number one. So every time I speak, I already understand that I am, I don't speak for, but I speak on behalf of those people who look like me. And I go because I know that they need to see somebody like me for them to understand, yes, you can do this too. Yes, absolutely. And, and I agree with you. It, it, it is something you better understand who I am. Uh, and more importantly, you better understand that I'm not necessarily going to tow the party. Oh, line. I'm definitely not. And I need also, <laughs> and I need you also to understand that my job is to make white people uncomfortable. And if you have a problem with that, um, one of the things that and before uh, one of the things that I want to leave us on is uh, something else we're talking about or um, bringing in women like myself and you in, particularly people like me. Um, have you thought about our safety? Because yes, it's great to have a Kim Creighton there to make everybody uncomfortable so we can move forward. But when angry white men get angry, they are very violent. And I need 
organizers to start thinking about the the that's an interesting one um, yeah. the safety because I just saw an article and I talked about this this weekend of a um, a meetup in Philadelphia that had a trans individual giving a talk and uh, a gentleman sent out a message calling this person all kinds of names and in the name of God and all this what have you done what are you doing to and they did they had a great responses but I need organizers to think about when you're bringing marginalized individuals into these communities people who have been targeted out particularly outside of professionalism they should not be targeted as a professional what are you doing to to ensure that they're safe so I'm not going to tell you how old I am but I've been in IT a long time and when I started in IT there were mostly men developers, right? I come from a Unix shop, Wall Street, um, mostly male developers. And they brought in women into IT mostly because the guys didn't want to deal with the users. And so it was very much stereotypes, right? It was very much, a, you know, men code, women nurture. And yeah, and but our space has always been a little bit of a hippie space, a little bit of a free mm-hmm. thinker space, a little bit. And so... Now, many, many, many years and a few decades later, I look at the state of the world and I go, you know what? I grew up during a time where we were supposed to be better than this. We were. My genera- I'm very disappointed in my generation. We were supposed to be better than this. We were the ones that, you know, uh, the civil rights movement occurred. We protested Vietnam. We, you know, don't trust anyone over 30. Um, and in the technology <laughs> Right, right. Free love. And in the technology space in particular, because it was such the early days that, yeah, it was it was men coded, women supported. Right. But more than that, even going beyond that from forget the for gender diversity for a second, it was a fairly inclusive environment in the sense of it didn't matter whether you were gay or straight. It didn't matter whether you, you know, I worked on Wall Street. The IT department came in in t-shirts and blue jeans, right? And so the the seeds of what could have been a really remarkable space overcoming a lot of other issues. Um, our developers were mostly academic. Um, there was, at least in my organization, diversity in ethnicities. Um, so we had black men, white men, Indian men, you know what I mean? On the woman's side, it was mostly white. Well, actually, that's not true. I was going to say mostly white women, but I would say there, was, there were seeds of, of you know, because most of us grew up from the organization because there wasn't a lot of Unix back then. But anyhow, one of my greatest disappointments is that that we're still having this conversation. But the thing, because the thing that uh, I don't know, you have to go. But I want to draw you to we this we as a country have been at this point many times and pulled back. We were at this point with uh, Reconstruction. We were at this point after we signed the Civil Rights Act. We were at, we've at, been at this point so many times, and yet we keep pulling back. I am I'm ready for us to go through the discomfort, face whatever it is, and move to the other side. Yeah, I, 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 you're right. I think, I don't know, I would like to think children. Uh, I told you I have former children in their, in their 20s. Um, I would like to think that, but I told my dad the same thing, right? I mean, I told my dad, oh, you know, we'll never be like you. And you know what? Uh, some of that has happened in pockets that I'm surprised at. So anyhow, 
I would love to meet you in person someday and you and I will have a glass of wine or a coffee or something. And, and I bet you that, that we'll find some things we agree yeah. on. Maybe some things we don't, but I bet you'll be out. Oh, I'm sure it will be. Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> All right. Nice Thank to meet you. Really you good luck. I, I really enjoyed it. All right. Talk Thank to you. you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Hashtag Cause the Scene podcast. And I'd like to thank all our current sponsors of the podcast and the Hashtag Cause the Scene movement. Of course, we strongly encourage everyone to become an individual sponsor of the Hashtag Cause the Scene community. Just visit the website at HashtagCauseTheScene.com to sign up today. On behalf of everyone here at Hashtag Cause the Scene, we'd like to thank you again for listening to today's show and have a wonderful day.